Isn't that nice? Hello, everybody. Howdy, partner. <laughs> Welcome to Rancher Life. This is Meet Tober, week three update podcast. Pretty exciting. Remembered my computer this time. See that? I'm on the ball. Got a good show for you today. Be typical to the week two and week one updates. We got a couple sections. Basically, uh, section one, uh, meals. Uh, section two, the mindful moments. Section three, general thoughts. And then we'll do a food rule, and then we'll get out of here. Now, I did take some notes this week, so I should be a little bit smoother than weeks in the past. So let's dive right in. Meet Tober. Let's see what I ate, when I ate it. We're going to put the images on that side of the screen, and let's dive right in. Going back to last Tuesday, boom. 11.45, 16 and a quarter hours fasting, double bacon, so I did pork and beef bacon, five eggs, organ mix, and beef. We'll talk about the dog food. I forgot about it last week. We'll get to it this week. Stay tuned. That's in section four. Three. Second meal. Later that day. That is unbelievable. That is the best meal I've had in a long time. That was fantastic. Um, I know the picture says 15. That's not the case. There is a, it looks like a brevet steak. Bunch of salmon, avocado, bunch of eggs. That was just awesome. Wednesday morning. Look at that. That is awesome. Uh, we got pork bacon, beef bacon, five eggs, avocado, ghee. I have been putting butter in my meals up in the fat intake just so I could try to mitigate the kind of energy feeling. We'll talk about that in section four. My energy levels and sleep. So don't forget. Uh, later in the day, still at the skate park that day, another steak, two eggs, uh, some pulled beef there, plain cheese. It's great. Moving along. Next morning, 16 hours fasting. Uh, beef bacon mix, some organs, four, uh, four eggs, cheese. Pretty typical. Like I said, it's going to be redundant. I'm going to move through this quick. Uh, later that day, that is a fat London broil. That is just beautiful. That's like a one point two pound london royal marinated from my cans uh then that night it was i went to good luck restaurant good luck great restaurant uh in this picture that is the burger it is a one pound grass-fed local burger it's unbelievably phenomenal i actually had two of these burgers uh in the image you can see there is some cheese so i had cheese on the burger i did eat a touch of that coleslaw so that wasn't carnivore but two-year anniversary for the girlfriend and i so we went out. Uh, it's kind of funny going to the restaurant and being like, hey, can I have the burger and no bun and no fries? <laughs> funny. The girlfriend got salmon, had some of the salmon, which is very good, and pretty much avoided most of the other stuff that was in the salmon. So in this particular instance, I did stray slightly off the carnivore template, but nothing more worse than me eating the avocado. That burger is phenomenal. I had two of them. Uh, next morning, 
yeah, pretty typical there. Uh, bacon, organ mix, eggs, cheese. This is pretty much what my breakfast has become uh, every day now. Uh, later at work here, we had some of the beef heart, some of the pulled pork. Looks like that's it. No egg in this time. Just heart and pulled pork. Sorry, not pulled pork. It's beef. Uh, later that day, I was still hungry, so it was 6. And then later at 9, I had the rest of that uh, pulled beef. And it looks like I had an avocado. Uh, following morning, that's a breakfast of champions. What's that? Well, uh, four eggs, a steak, bacon. I'm so hungry right now. Uh, later that day, 8 p.m. That's pretty long. I ate it too, and then again, I ate. That is just a fat steak. I think that was the other London broil I had. Uh, here's a video of that. Play that video. Three seconds at, oh man, that is a thing of beauty right there. <clears throat> All right. 18th. Looks like this is probably Sunday morning. <laughs> this is funny. Ate a quarter of it already. Yes, yeah, so that was my breakfast. It looks like bacon. There might be some organ meat in there, a bunch of eggs. I was just so hungry. I guess I ate half it before I got the picture, quarter of it. Pretty good. Later that day, 2 p.m., that's a steak. That was a ranch steak, I believe, from McCann's. Now, you'll see along the outer edge of that, there's this like real nice chunk of fat that basically covers half of it. It was unbelievably delicious. That good pasture-raised, uh, grass-fed, organic meat, the fat is so tender and juicy and flavorful, it's like you don't even want to waste it. It's very different than your conventional beef. Uh, same day, a little bit later, 5 o'clock, heart. That is literally like half of the beef heart uh you can see all that I, that's halfway heated up so all that white stuff on there is just like fat the heart that was so fatty i've had a bunch of people say like how could the heart be fatty wouldn't it be sick and it's like it's just the upper half of the heart was like encrusted in like fat and i left all of it in there because the fat's the good stuff but that was so good all that like gunk around the chunks of heart in the image uh was all the little bits and pieces that cooked off all the uh um caramelized onion and all the garlic garlic it was just phenomenal i gotta say the heart was was awesome it was really really awesome uh and i have another image of the heart in the later section about uh how i made that or whatever uh let's see oh it looks like we went out of order oh no no when i got home i had something like a breakfast because i was still hungry at 10 p.m so that's a late meal bacon organ mix two eggs cheese i've definitely been hungry later um yesterday was the 19th uh 15 hours fasting that's your typical breakfast i don't need to really explain that um i did make meatballs the night before super balls some of the beef crumbles is all mixed in there and then last night I had this meal, which was some of the meatballs chopped up, two pieces of bacon, two eggs, and avocado. That was at 7.30 last night. And that's everything I had eaten last week. Are you on break? Yeah. I mean, not on break. Um, it's lunch time, and then um... I'll just do lunch, and then I'll do this later. Mindful Moments, Section 2. We're going to do what we did last week, and we are going to speak about um, a passage from a book I had recently read, and then we're going to break down um, that quote 
Um, typically, mindfulness is about self-awareness, and this is very much within that realm. Um, and this is more like something you could take home for some homework, food for thought. Although food for thought is the name for other podcasts, but uh, let's go ahead and dive in and listen to this quote. We so commonly undervalue the deeper aspects of the human psyche that we hold self-examination or preoccupation with ourselves to be almost morbid. We evidently suspect ourselves of harboring rather unwholesome things all too reminiscent of a sick room. The physician must overcome these resistances in himself, for who can educate others while himself uneducated? Who can enlighten his fellows while still in the dark about himself, and who can purify if he is himself unclean? Okay, so that is the quote. Um, it is pretty serious. This is from the um, Carl Jung, Modern Man in Search of a Soul. Correct. Uh, the book is a collection of, of essays and speeches and stuff Carl Jung had given, and uh, yeah, and I bookmarked a lot of stuff in there because Carl Jung is, I mean, I mean he is the psychologist. So we're going to talk about this quote. The quote is pretty dense, so we're going to try to unpack it, and I'll give you my kind of analysis of it. So I'm going to read it again. <clears throat> We so commonly undervalue the deeper aspects of the human psyche that we hold self-examination or preoccupation with ourselves to be almost morbid. We evidently suspect ourselves of harboring rather unwholesome things, all too reminiscent of a sick room. That's the first half. We're going to focus on that. The second half isn't quite as important. Um, so before we even do this, I have to break down a little bit of Union thinking, Carl Jung. I'm going to pull up this graphic right here. Um, here you go. Okay, so this this is kind of a, a general idea of the Carl Jung like uh, framework. Okay, so um, this outer world, inner world graphic, outer world, inner world, and it goes deeper as it goes down. Um, at the top is your persona. Um, your persona is like your personality. Um, Young believes you are not just one personality, you're a whole bunch of personas and, and you can kind of extrapolate this and understand like how you're not the person you are at work at home, the person you are with your parents isn't quite the person you are with your with your uh, loved one uh, or if you're having a one, one night stand or something. You do have all these different personas, these masks you wear, so to speak. Um, below that is the ego. The ego is basically like, if you see like the self is right in the middle. The ego is like what you've mapped on top of that. Um, and your persona is built upon all these egos, right? So below that self is the shadow. And you do see it like overlaps and, and there's this gray area of the self. So the self is that like little bit of unconscious, little bit of, of conscious. Below the self is the shadow. Um, and below the shadow is the animal, the animus, which is like the animalistic part of you, Um I guess with Freudian framework, it's like the id. Um, and then on the sides of the chart, you'll see, you know, consciousness is between ego and self. Uh, personal unconsciousness lies right in the middle. And then the collective unconscious is in the shadow and the animus. From an actual, like, neurological stance, like the, like the animus is actually, like, presumably the... Uh, older evolutionary parts of the brain that are always there you know like the hippocampus and everything outside the order inside outside everything that's inside the outer cortex right 
all those frameworks, okay? Um, so that'll kind of give you a, a rough framework, okay? I'm going to read the, the, the first sentence of this quote. We so commonly undervalue the deeper aspects of the human psyche that we hold self-examination and preoccupation with ourselves to be almost morbid. Morbid. Let's use, I'm going to define that word for you. Morbid. Characterized by or appealing to an abnormal and unhealthy interest in disturbing and unpleasant subjects, especially death and disease. Uh, okay. Interesting. Uh, in this sentence, Jung mentions, he says, deep, deeper aspects is the term he uses, which would be, I would, I would guess, aka synonymous with the unconscious and the shadow, which from that graphic. And to give you a little more depth on what the shadow is, um, this is coming from Wikipedia, the Wikipedia. I'm going to read right off it. The union shadow can include everything outside the light of consciousness and may be positive or negative. Because one tends to reject or remain ignorant of the least desirable aspects of one's personality, the shadow is largely negative. There are, however, positive aspects that may also remain hidden in one's shadow, especially in people who have low self-esteem, uh, anxieties, or false beliefs. Quote, everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious, conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. End quote. It may be, in part, one's link to a more primitive animal instinct. We are supposed to, we are, I'm sorry, we are superseded during early childhood by the conscious mind. I screwed that up. I'll say it again. It may be in part one's link to a more primitive animal instinct, which are superseded during early childhood by the conscious mind. Well, this will fall into a, uh, a, a um, Freudian framework as well. So, let's go back. So, let's see. My, what I, my little breakdown here. This I said, we, so, okay, we are so scared of the depths and the potential darkness inside us that we are terrified to look into oneself and examine the true nature of our being and moral character. This is the shadow. Now, it's worth referencing um, the in the Freudian psychology terminology projection. This is from um, Wrench Life episode four, if you want to go back and watch that. Uh, projection is a defense mechanism where you are attributing uncomfortable feelings onto others. It's extremely common. Uh, this is obviously like the blame game. It's mom's fault. It's her fault. Um, Young has said projection is the most common psychological phenomena. Uh, everything that is unconscious in ourselves, we discover in our neighbor. We treat them and we treat them accordingly. This is from uh, Young's book, The Archaic Man. And I noted that this is huge. Uh, very often, these the things we dislike, we see in others. And we are blind to see in ourselves and we deny it. Uh, I will note now, I think this might be one of the main drivers in what we they call Trump derangement syndrome. We see the, you see the worst of you and him. Liar, cheater, can't admit when you're wrong, 
narcissistic, loves being the center of attention. Uh, the, the, the Trump persona very much embodies many negative personality traits that we all detest. So real big in Freudian psychology is this idea of the shadow and how we are unconscious to it, but we unconsciously see what we don't like of our shadow in other people. Moving on to the second part of this passage. We evidently suspect ourselves of harboring rather unwholesome things, all too reminiscent of a sick room. Let's define sick room. Now, a room in a school or place or of a room in a school or place of work occupied by or set apart for people who are unwell. Unwell. So basically, here, Young correctly points out that we can all acknowledge what he outlines in the first sentence. He uses the word evidently, and I really like this, because it states how the unconscious bleeds into the conscious, and how it is evident there. It's evident there. But we often choose to look past it. And I will say choose. It is subconscious, unconscious, but we pretty much choose to. I think that word evidently is really big to this passage because it's like you kind of know it's there. Like you kind of know that part of you is a huge piece of shit. <laughs> um, and the way it ties into the first half is, is just really nice. So my breakdown of this uh, really is it is evidently obvious enough that we know the shadow and the unconscious exists and it is formidable if not the most formidable part of the psyche yet the tremendous fear and depth of what may reside deep within us is enough to hold our potential in contempt you hold the best version of yourself hostage you put your true potential behind bars simply because it shares a cell. Sorry. You, I, get to, I want to make sure I read this right. You put your true potential behind bars simply because it shares the same jail with the worst version of you. Now, these versions of you are in different cells, but in the same jail. In your psyche, you must keep them separate because you fear which version of you would come out on top if you were to allow them to square off. So you take the worst part of you and it is subconsciously just back there, put away in jail. And then somewhere in that jail is the best version of you with all of your potential ready to burst forth by harboring the best you can be by wrenching your life one day at a time. And you go, well, in order to, for that self to burst forward, I have to contend with the worst version of myself, the union shadow. In union psychology, there is something called individuation. It is the process of incorporating all of these aspects into your being and being the full, complete human you could be, or at least trying to actively be that 
That is the incorporation of the union shadow. So I'll read the quote one more time. We so commonly undervalue the deeper aspects of the human psyche that we hold self-examination or preoccupation with ourselves to be almost morbid. We evidently suspect ourselves of harboring rather unwholesome things all too reminiscent of a sick room. It's deep, right? And then just to wrap it up with the last half, uh, the physician must overcome the these resistance in himself. For who can educate others while themselves on education? Who can enlighten his fellows while he is still in the dark about himself? And who can purify if he himself is unclean? I mean, that's um, just really deep, typical union psychology. It's archetypical. It's it's up there. It's epic. Like, walk the walk. Um, you know, be the best you can be. Like, don't criticize... Um, someone if you you know don't what's the quote um those living glass houses shouldn't throw stones completely true you need to you know check yourself you know before you go out smack talking everyone else because guess what like your inner shadow is is so much worse than the person you think you're going to criticize you know and this is why i personally do wrench life and why i try to embody wrench life and i try to be better every day I try to contend with those darker parts of myself. And I, I try, because exactly, because who can purify if themselves unclean? Someone might give you a hard time for eating a particular diet while they themselves are not on any diet whatsoever. Well, geez, man, being on any diet is better than no diet. Being on one diet and then trying something else and trying and adjusting and, and sticking to it enough to, to gauge results well, then you, you can falsify some of the data. You can you can double check some of the data and you'd be like, oh, okay, like right now, I used to be vegetarian. Then I went to a paleo template, felt a lot better. Cut out all the garbage, felt a lot better. Now I'm doing this carnivore thing. And honestly, I feel even better than that. Granted, it's only three weeks in. Who knows where it's going to go? But had I never tried it, I would never have known. So if I, if I were to be critical of someone's dietary choices uh, in regards to avoiding animal products for the claim of health, um, I would say, well, I've done that. I tried it. I've experienced it. But granted, this quote is about much deeper things like neuroses and psychoses and just like serious stuff. Um, and to close it out, I will say young is dense. I read audiobooks very quickly, listen to audiobooks really quickly. His language is, you know, it's, it's academic, but it's not crazy, crazy, um, like sophisticated, but his, um, his syntax is. The ideas he's stringing together, like word for word, sentence for sentence, it's like there's no filler, there's no wasted um, words, there's no dumbing it down for the audience. The content is like right there, and so much of it is so dense and symbolic. It's it's like it's hard to absorb it. I can't. I have trouble absorbing his. Um, words 
the way I normally do because they just require so much bandwidth. I could I could zoom through most books at double speed while riding my bike. It's no problem. But his stuff, it's like you got to sit down, you got to buckle up, and you better ready be ready to have everything about the reality of the world come into question and be able to contend with that while reading or stopping every paragraph to be like, whoa, that was epic. That's Carl Jung, Modern Man, Search for a Soul, a quote about the shadow. Pretty epic. Hope you liked it. We're moving on. We're going to move on here into section three of today's podcast. Uh, a little bit of how I felt, how I uh, uh, performed, a little bit of insights about it. So let's go over. So what I'm going to do here is we're going to go over my notes. Uh, we'll talk about my sleep, bowel movements, the dog food, and the heart. Good times. Good times. Week three. All right. Let's start off with the dog food. I forgot about the dog food. Oh, man. The dog food's great. So... The Butcher McCann's, they make a beef and bone marrow uh, burger mix, ground beef. It's great. It's a burger with bone marrow. That is awesome for nose to tail uh, diet or even paleo diet. It's great. I had uh, wondered if they would do the same thing with some organ meats. So I went in there. I said, hey, what if I wanted something like that? But instead of like marrow, I got like one third or a quarter organ meats. Could I special order that? How many pounds do I have to get? The guy's like, yeah, we could do it. You get like 10 pounds. 10 pounds of ground beef is probably not really a problem for me. He goes, let me just, let me go talk to the boss. He goes over, he talks to the boss. They chuckle a little bit. Not the boss, the manager. He comes back. He goes, all right, all right here's the deal, buddy. Uh, what you're asking for, we kind of already make. Uh, you can just get it and then mix it yourself. It'll be cheaper that way. The catch is we sell it as <laughs> supplemental dog food. And I was like, I guess I'm eating dog food. So they, uh, the butcher, this is McCann's, the local butcher, all uh, locally sourced, grass-fed, sustainable, as good as you could hope for, presumably. They take all the organ meats and I guess a bunch of the stuff that people won't buy, and they just grind it up. They sell it for dog food, four fifty pound. So I bought it, and I take this mushed up dog food. That's what's in my super balls. What's in my uh, super burger? What's in the and I make this as mixed organ meat. I take a glob of this mixed organ meat. It's all different colors and textures and stuff and just put it in there and it's great. Getting a couple ounces of organ meats every single day. And what's even better about it is I don't know what it is uh, and it's all the organs. So I'm getting literally all the organs and I will tell you it tasted better than the liver alone. The liver alone wasn't crazy about. There you have it. Um, next, I'll talk about the heart. Let's throw a picture of the heart. Boom, right there. Look at that bad boy. Yeah, so I did that heart. Full heart. Cut some of the fat off, but put the fat back in the crock pot at the bottom. Put one and a half red onion in the bottom. Probably about a dozen cloves of garlic. And uh, seasoned it up. Put it in the crock pot, about 14 hours. Well, I put it on for 12 hours on low. Then switched it to the warm setting. Let it go for like another like six hours on like just keep warm because I had to go out and do stuff. Uh, the heart was unbelievable. Uh, the texture of the heart meat was dense. Uh, it was kind of hard to describe. It was like uh, like the grain of the meat was very tight, more like uh, like a pork chop, but even tighter than that and denser than that. It tasted like beef. 
tasted like it definitely tasted more um, nutrient dense, I guess I could say, or gamey than normal beef, but not far off. It was actually awesome. I'm sure the way I prepared it made it better. I ate the heart in like two sittings. It was really good. I definitely recommend heart. Um, I'll probably do it again, honestly, and share it with people. It was really good. I might cube it up before I cook it. Um, and I will talk about this primal feeling. I think I noted this down. Oh, feel primalized. I noted it last week, too. I got to say, I've always been squeamish about meat. I'm very self-conscious. I guess not self-conscious. I'm very conscious about my food decisions, and like I don't like eating animals. Like I feel bad about it, like many people do. I'm, I'm, I know where it comes from, and I, and I feel bad something had to die so I can live. So I try to take that into account when I eat and you know thank the animal, like kind of like prayer. Just acknowledge the fact that something died so I can live. Thank you, cow. But still, I've always been very squeamish about meat. I hated touching meat, even to this day. I just like I've always been like, gang, gang, gang. and then something happened last week. I love it's all the meat. I love it's like this hunter thing inside of me. Like, I'm just like cool with it now. It's really bizarre, weird, like neurological thing may have happened. I'm not really sure. Like, I was just manhandling that heart, bare hands. Didn't bother me. And only I'm like, ew, oh my god, it's so gross. Making my meatballs. Uh, let's get a picture of the meatballs up right there. Boom, meatballs. Those are my meatballs. They came out pretty good. Uh, just ground beef and organ meat. Uh, just working with the meat with my bare hands, not a problem. Didn't bother me. Just feel okay about it. Feel kind of like pumped. Uh, moving on from the heart. Um, I'll mention my sleep. It's been phenomenal. I've never had a problem sleeping, which is wor worth noting. I have always been a deep sleeper. Never, never an issue. Lately, I've been sleeping more. Uh, probably like an hour, hour and a half more on average. Um, not like I feel more necessarily more rejuvenated, but and it could be a matter of just switching seasons. It could be less sunlight, but I've definitely been sleeping very, very well, which is very nice. Um, so if you uh, personally have sleeping issues, maybe look at your diet. Maybe. Um, let's see. Let's look at my notes here. Um, Week ago, muscle recovery and growth seem strong. Nice. Um, definitely been fighting with hunger. Saturday night, I got real nauseous. It's like late at night, just got nauseous. Didn't puke. Just was kind of a weird moment. I managed to just go to sleep, woke up feeling okay. Sunday during the day, my stomach just felt kind of uneasy, like from the night before. And this is the really, really weird one here. Um, my bowel movement smelled like bad breath. Which is very interesting. No idea what that means. I did not look anything up about it. But it very clearly smelled like morning bad breath. Not at all like what you'd expect. Um, I don't know. I know bad breath is, is a lot of bacteria and cells that have died in your mouth because without, without opening your mouth or drying out, I guess the mouth, the oral microbiome environment gets heated 
over the night or whatever happens and a lot of it dies off. So that, that bad breath is all that dead stuff in your mouth. Gross, right? So perhaps um, with this diet, maybe at that point three weeks in, uh, another subset of species in the microbiome had died off and that was them finally getting out. Um, I don't know if maybe the night before I reached some sort of tipping point in biodiversity in the in the colon or the lower intestine or something where something triggered some weird response and then in the morning it pushed it all out. I have no idea. I will look into it and maybe we'll touch back on it in the next podcast, but it was very, very bizarre. All I went used the bathroom several times that day, all of which were not typical movements. Uh Definitely something happened there. Since then, it's been normal. So it seems like on this diet, or at least through this adaptation to this diet, once a week I've had some sort of like stomach, um, uh, you know, gut-like episode. Um, nothing really crazy though. And I will note, I'm just hungry all the time. I've been super hungry, always hungry, habitually hungry. Uh, I did far fewer activities in this past week. Um, so I'm not, I don't think I'm going to even go over my activities. We can briefly look through it. Um, I think I, I, I ran, I ran twice last week. That's it. Um, we did a 5k earlier in the week, 952 pace, pretty slow, 143 beats per minute. Nothing crazy. Um, and then. Saturday at work, I also ran. Uh, nine fifty-five pace. Yeah, same, basically same speed. And let's see the heart rate. Um, one twenty-seven. So, all right, same speed run. Uh, way lower heart rate that night. Elevation 32 feet versus elevation um, 123 feet. Yeah, that big a difference. So that would suggest, I mean, that difference could be just early in the day, late in the day. Who knows? I tend to be better in the evenings. So, I mean, what I would point out there is sometimes when I'm doing, when I'm really pushing the activities, the caloric burns real high. I'll be hungry all week long. This was not one of those weeks. And I've been hungry all the time. I have upped the fat intake with more butter and stuff. I have been eating more cheese. I'm thinking perhaps I maybe went to a tipping point with cheese. So I'm going to backtrack the cheese this week, keep the butter up, and see if it solves that problem. I think that's it. Got to sleep, bowel movements, dog food, talked about the notes. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I feel awesome. Mental clarity is as good as it's literally ever been in my entire life. Sleeping good, getting up good. Mornings, I'm still a little... Uh, normally, I'm like, get up and go. I get like, literally come out of my bed and go straight into a 5K, and it's not a problem. The mornings feel a little more sluggish, but not super sluggish. And otherwise, I feel great. Love it. It's awesome. I'm definitely going to probably not go back to putting um, the vegetables in my breakfasts. I think the wrench, wrench fist, as I've been calling it, is going to remain uh, a carnivore wrench fist for now on. Uh, 
insofar as, or as long as, I continue with the dog food, the organ meats. And I think that will be a good thing to gauge over the next, say, six months if I continue to do so and cut out the carrot, yam, and Brussels sprouts and continue and up the egg um, protein and the nutrient-dense organs. We'll see how, uh, how it goes throughout the winter. No rest November is next month, so I'll be running a 5K a day. So I'm going to need everything I can get as far as muscle recovery goes. I will probably uh, keep you updated on No Rest November as well. And that's it for today's show. Meet-tober. Week three is over. We're going to finish it up today, as always, with a Michael Pollan food roll. Everyone's favorite. Again, Michael Pollan, food rules. Number 11. Avoid foods you see advertised on TV. Continuing on, let's read. Food markets, sorry, food marketers are ingenious at turning criticisms of their products and rules like these into new ways to sell slightly different versions of the same processed foods. They simply reformulate to be low fat or have no high fructose corn syrup or no trans fats or to contain fewer ingredients, then they boast that they're in, they boast of their implied healthfulness, whether the boast is meaningful or not. The best way to escape these marketing ploys is to tune out to the marketing itself by refusing to buy heavily promoted foods. Only the biggest food manufacturers can afford to advertise their products on television. More than two-thirds of food advertising is spent on promoting processed foods and alcohol. So if you avoid products with big ad budgets, you'll automatically be avoiding inedible food-like substances. As for the 5% of food ads that promote whole foods, like <laughs> the prune or the walnut growers or the beef ranchers, common sense will, one hope, one hopes, keep you from tarring them with the same brush. These are the exceptions that prove the rule. Bogus health claims and faulty food science have made supermarkets particularly treacherous places to shop for real food, which suggests the next two rules. Well, we'll have to stay tuned for those rules, rule 12 next week. But there you have it. Don't buy shit on TV. Anything you ever seen on TV, is anything ever worth buying? It's not true. Don't buy it. Don't buy it literally. Don't buy it metaphorically. And uh, that's it for this week, guys. So uh, keep wrenching it. You can always uh, drop us a review or a comment. Let me know what you thought. Hell, if you're one of the four people that listens to it, probably friends with me, shoot me a text. Questions, comments, concerns? I'm here for you. Keep wrenching, friends.